What up, world? Fast first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. This is our weekly mailbag episode. We do it each week, rain, snow, or shine. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me at Mike G Rich on Twitter. Just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. Helps if you label it. Or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time where I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show at lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Shoot me a note there. I'll get you in the show. Like I said, this is our weekly mailbag show. We do it each week. Record on Monday evenings. Post on Tuesdays. You can count on it here from Locked On Blazers. Without further ado... Let's get into it. Doing things slightly different this week because there was there was a heavy theme on questions. In fact, Sean Fitzpatrick at Fitz303, Hayden Tompkins at I'm Rip City07, Kai Bursa at Kai Matthew, Joel Smith at Joel Smee4791183, Lewis Olenek at Lewis RS Olenek, Plant-Based Brain at Slime and Simon. Jaron Abelson at Jaron underscore AB and Chin Dog at Chin underscore Dog. That's D O double G and Nathan from Gmail and Hassan Whiteside's burner, Justin P1111 and Joey Pushk at Blazers fan triple zero. All y'all were asking about Harry Giles. So there's a couple different uh, themes that I'll try to touch on. So I'm not going to read every single person's questions. That's like 15, 15 separate questions about Harry Giles. Look, dude's been balling. I'm not surprised that uh, many of you are curious about him. I just, uh, we, can't, we can't go through them one by one. This is, we, we try to keep these shows tight, about under under 40 minutes. So we're going we're gonna to have to hit them in this manner, thematically. The questions range in a couple different ways. Is Harry Giles going to play? Is Harry Giles going to overtake Ennis Cantor? Is Harry Giles uh, make Zach expendable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just take, let's take this first segment. Let's talk about Harry Giles. If you are, if you listen to all the episodes, I did spend 10 minutes on Harry Giles yesterday, specifically talking about his fit in the rotation. But for those of you that missed it, or those of you who only listen to uh, mailbag episodes, I want to give you those answers now. Those of you who, who ask questions, deserve to have your questions answered. But there's, there, if you want more Giles talk, I talked about the, sort of the specifics of rotation math and where Harry Giles fits in there in the most recent podcast episode in your feed right before this mailbag. So if you listen to this, you want more Harry Giles, go back one episode. It's That's the first segment of the show. You'll get another 10 or 12 minutes on Harry Giles. But here are my thoughts on Harry Giles. One, he has been really, really good, undeniably good. Looks like an NBA player. Uh, I don't know if he's this like elite starting center or whatever that he was supposed to be when he was 17, but it's undeniable he looks like a valuable NBA rotation player. That said, it's hard for me to see where he fits. The Blazers have Yusuf Nurkic, and he's going to play 30 minutes a night. He's a star at center. Like, he's one of the 10 best centers in the league. You don't play him less in order to get better. The Blazers also 
acquired Ennis Cantor. And the last time they acquired Ennis Cantor, they immediately bumped promising youngster Zach Collins right out of the rotation so Cantor could soak up his minutes. They did it. They That was just as soon as Cantor arrived, he, he leapfrogged Zach Collins in the rotation. Cantor is on this roster to play. And if you're on the roster to play, it's not like you're going to play eight minutes a night. It's just not fair to guys to give them two four-minute shifts. So I think the five spot is spoken for. I, I have a hard time seeing Giles cracking that five-man rotation. But he can play four, Michael, don't you know? I do know. And I do think he can play a little bit of power forward. I think he's a center in the league, the way the league is going. I think that's his best fit. Uh, but certainly he could play a little bit of four. He's mobile and, and athletic and and it, it wouldn't be on, in, in most matchups, it wouldn't be a problem. However, the Blazers signed Robert Covington. It's the guy Neil O'Shea called their fourth best player. He's going to play a ton of minutes. You think 25 to 30 minutes a night. The backup power forward is named Carmelo Anthony, a guy who they brought here specifically to give him a role of 20 to 22 minutes off the bench. Well, let's say Carmelo's at 22. That leaves 26 minutes a night at power forward for Robert Covington. That seems about right. I think Covington's going to play a little bit more, but he might slide down to the three in those minutes too. But I just don't think there's minutes at either of those spots. And Terry Stotts said about the same thing. He said, you know, right now, he basically, Terry Stotts, in the way that Terry Stotts does, said that Harry Giles isn't in the playing rotation. Now, that's early on. And I think there's no reason to think that before January, Harry Giles is going to crack the, rot- the, crack the rotation unless there is uh, an injury or foul trouble. Like he could play on a night when they need him. He's not like, he's not like, he's going to dress every night and get a jersey and all those things, but he's just not going to be part of the regular plan. Uh, the Blazers are going to go 10 deep this year, I think, but that's Dame, CJ, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic, and then off the bench, you've got absolute locks, Gary Trent Jr., Carmelo Anthony, Ennis Cantor, and probably Rodney Hood, an absolute lock. That's nine. The 10th guy is not another big. If you just look at who's coming off the bench right there, if there is a 10th guy on most nights, it's Anthony Simons. Not 100% sure it's Simons, but if there is a 10, the 10 is going to be a guard and not um, not another big. There just isn't, there. it doesn't, it does not fit with the way the rotation is set up right now. The Blazers have really avoided Carmelo Anthony playing small forward. They're not going to change that up to squeeze in Gar- Harry Giles. However, the season and the way basketball works, dudes are going to get injured. Uh, whether it's long-term or short-term, there's going to be nights when you need another center. Having someone as quality as Harry Giles is going to be really valuable. There's also a global pandemic that is still going to be raging while the NBA tries to play this season. People are going to get sick. It's a harsh and kind of depressing reality, but it's just true. Like that, If you travel around to a bunch of different cities to play basketball games, people are going to get sick or you're going to be in contact with someone does and you're going to have to miss a game for precautionary reasons and Harry Giles is going to have to play like he's going to he'll, he'll get minutes because of just the 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 how basketball works and how the current state of the world works and that is valuable the other question is that had come up a couple times in the questions y'all asked was does Harry Giles you know, does he leapfrog Zach Collins and make him expendable? And my thinking on that is certainly not right away. You don't you don't move on from um, Zach Collins now. I also don't think Zach Collins has like super high trade value. He's going to be he's he's entering free agency or entering restricted free agency coming off the end of his rookie deal. He hasn't stayed healthy for a full season yet, and when he has, he's been a little bit foul happy. And he's probably a five. So I just don't think there's a huge market for that. Like I think Zach Collins has a path forward to be a 
relatively high level rotation contributor. Like I think he, I think he can be a good NBA player for a long time, but I don't think he's like someone who you could just sort of like ship out and get a, a high draft pick or something like that. Like I don't, I don't think it makes sense to trade him because you don't get a lot of value back for him. And I don't think it makes sense to trade him for the previous reasons I listed with Giles. Depth is going to be important. The Blazers have have made the postseason in uh, recent runs and always kind of seemed like they could use more more talented bodies. And I just think having more and more good players is going to be valuable. Add Harry Giles to that list. Add Zach Collins to the list. If the season were to start today, I'm not 100% sure both of those... I think there's a chance that both of those guys pick up DNPs on night one. Because Mello and Ennis Cantor are entrenched. Covington and Yusuf Nurkic are entrenched. You ha- you'd have to mix and match to make it work or play guys a lot less minutes. I'm, I just don't see it there. Harry Giles has been awesome. He's been a lot of fun. He's been the revelation of preseason. He deserves to be in the conversation. But right now, it's just logically, it seems very unlikely. Stotts hasn't been one of those guys that really, um, that plays the matchups. There was a time a few seasons ago uh, in 2016-17 when he was trying to play 11 guys with Shabazz Napier and Gerald Henderson and kind of Gerald Henderson and Mo Harkless were... Uh, switching off who would be who would be the other guy each night, and both of them hated it. It was not it wasn't a good plan. Uh, Gerald Gerald Henderson basically you know thirty five games in was like I, frustrated because he didn't have a a real role. I think the challenge of building a good NBA team is that you have to tell players who are bona fide good basketball players on each night you can't play, and I think for right now that's who Harry Giles is. Because of the sort of obvious numbers crunch, because of the obvious role created for veterans on this roster in, in Cantor and Mello off the bench, and because of Terry Stotts hasn't been one to sort of play the matchups, like Cantor is just going to be penciled in as your backup center because I don't think you can make right now a super strong convincing argument that Harry Giles is definitely better than Cantor. He's better at different stuff, but... Cantor just has a longer track record of being a really effective offensive player, and Giles isn't this overwhelming defensive presence to sway you in the other direction. Harry Giles is really good. He's going to get his chances. He's just not going to get his chances early in the season. It's This is the challenge of building a team, a, a good team, and, and the Blazers are seeing that crunch with someone who looks as good as he has early in two preseason games in, in Harry Giles. All right, let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions. But before we get there... I want to tell y'all that this episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times or Forbes, and I'm excited to tell you more about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this is exciting. Limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings that launches January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively 
at BlueNile.com. All right. We have big news later this week. Former host of this show, Eric Garcia Gunderson, is going to join me on the podcast. Eric's a good friend of mine, and he has been working in the Blazers world for at least as long as me and probably a little bit longer. We were both on the beat together in our early days, and he's a guy who knows a lot about the Blazers. I'm excited to pick his brain on his thoughts on this team, so be sure to check that out. It'll be posting in your feeds Thursday evening or depending on when if we go a little late could be Friday to be honest with y'all but I think it's gonna be Thursday evening check for that podcast Eric Garcia Gunderson joining Locked on Blazers all right let's 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 keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday we have more more themes it's thematical day we talked all about Harry Giles but there were a another small handful that were curious about Carmelo Anthony and the chances that he might bring home some hardware Adam Nakamura, that's Adam Naka28, Tim from Gmail, Joseph from Gmail, and Jeremy from Gmail, all curious whether Carmelo Anthony could win sixth man of the year. I think it's a, a reasonable hypothetical. I don't think it's I don't think it's a super, super likely scenario. He was awesome in that game one against the Kings, uh, but he made all of his shots. You know, you, you make your first five shots, you look really good. Always things always look better when the ball goes in. I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to average 20 a game off the bench. Uh, I think there are other t- other guys um, in the league who are going to to press him for it. Depending on what happens with Dennis Schroeder with the Lakers, I think he could be, um, he should maybe be the favorite to win Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, I guess you always have to mention Lou Lou Williams because it's basically his award now that Jamal Crawford is out of, out of the league. I think depending on who starts between Spencer Denwitty and Karis Levert in Brooklyn, and I think it sounds like it's going to be Karis Levert, Spencer Denwitty off the bench for that team, that could be really good. I think he's a six-man-of-the-year candidate. I should probably throw Jordan Clarkson in there just because of the way he played for Utah after they acquired him last year was just like, I get to shoot every time that I'm on the court. Um, A very valuable role for a six-man. Utah, not a ton of depth, not a ton of offensive punch, but they're going to be a good team, and Clarkson's going to score a lot off the bench. So I think all those guys are probably... I would say ahead of Mello on the, in the pecking order for six man of the year. But yeah, I think, I don't think it's crazy. Like, I don't think it's a wild, I don't think it's a wild thing. Uh, Jeremy from Gmail in this, in the same sort of question was concerned about when Mello kind of would complain about his lack of playing time. Um, I think the Blazers in the, their sort of creation of this role for Carmelo Anthony have been very clear about how much he's going to play. 20, you know, 20 to 22 minutes a night. Very clear that he has an established role. He's not going to pick up DNPs. He's going to be, him and Gary Trent Jr. are going to be the first subs every single game. Uh, I think they have been honest and clear about what to expect. And I think that will prevent him from, um, from complaining about uh, his role, complaining about minutes, complaining about touches. He's, they, the Blazers have done a really good job about being specific and honest about what Mello will do. And he's going to be a, he'll be a valuable bench part. Um, Sixth man of the year, he'll be in the conversation, I guess, I would guess, but I don't think he's going to be, when it's all said and done, a realistic part. Like I don't, there's a chance that he's not even the Blazers leading scorer off the bench. Shout out to Gary Trent Jr. Next question comes from Logan at Logan B 770 on Twitter, who asks, is it possible for the bench lineup to be Simons, Trent, Hood, Giles, and Cantor with us having Collins as the 11th man or trading him? Logan. Logan, I have terrible news. Logan, I have just terrible... Logan, I have terrible news. 
you forgot about Carmelo Anthony in your tweet. You just you you put the tweet together and you forgot about Carmelo Anthony. So no, that that's not going to be the bench lineup because because Logan dog Logan, you forgot you forgot about Carmelo Anthony in your tweet. Next question comes from Casey Park at Casey underscore Park on Twitter who asks, "Does Nazir Little have the vid? Is that why he's missing?" So, uh. Casey, I know you didn't mean it this way, but the coronavirus is a serious thing. Um, any disease is maybe not worth joking about. I know that with this is like you're just being familiar because it's Twitter or whatever, but does he have the vid? Sounds a little too casual for me. We don't know exactly the long-lasting effects. We don't know um, Nazir Little's sort of overall health currently because the Blazers are being very... Um, private about uh, disclosing that type of information but yeah he's he seems to be the one who has coronavirus um, it, it seems like what the Blazers are going to do is they're going to let each individual player decide whether they disclose it um, it's kind of an odd choice but it's how they're approaching it for now we'll see how sort of the NBA handles it going forward but yeah Nazir Little has not been around the team he's still quarantined for a little while longer or, or going through the quarantine process for a little while longer you got him after testing positive you get two full weeks and then have to come back with some negative consecutive negative testing so uh that's that's where nazir little has been yes next question comes from tanner russ at tanner russ seven on twitter who asks okay so now that we're replete with forwards and centers but we're down to damon cj as pgs do sunday does sunday's loss to the kings change anything for getting another backup uh no sunday's loss has no implications the blazers are not like Anthony Simons wasn't wasn't available, and the Blazers can just stagger Dame and CJ and have them handle most of the ball handling duties or, or 48 minutes of the ball handling duties. Uh, I think it's definitely a weakness of, of the Blazers, but um, it's, it's not something that they're going to address in the near term, and it is not something that the a preseason loss to the Kings where the starters didn't play in the second half has any impact on. Tanner also asks a follow-up question, which is shared by Paul at Bishop1415, who asks, Who is Kelgen Blevins? He's played 32 minutes in two preseason games, and I know nothing about the man. Tanner asks the same thing. <laughs> when did we pick up Kelgen? Uh, Kelgen Blevins is... Uh, He's on a two-way contract with the Blazers. He played his college basketball at Montana State University, and he was briefly in training camp, uh, I believe, two seasons ago. He is uh, Damian Lord's cousin, and they share the same representation. I am under the impression that this is doing Dame a solid and getting someone who he likes on the roster. Not sure he would otherwise be in the league. Um He's he's you know pretty much only had looks with the Blazers, not like a guy who's who's had other other little runs with other, with other teams. Um, but he's he's you know he's a big guard, someone maybe low risk guard that help that makes your franchise player happy. I don't think there's I don't think it's a crazy big deal. Um, two way players can spend more time with with the NBA teams this season. I think they can play a total of fifty games. They don't have a forty five day count, so um, it's very likely that Blevins will be around the team a lot more. So you'll be seeing him. Uh, a little bit more often. Speaking of two-way players, Dr. J from Gmail asks, why haven't we, that's a collective pronoun, first one of the show, signed another two-way guy? If we signed our second, I missed this, ignore this question. Don't worry, Jay, I wouldn't I wouldn't blast you like that. It seems silly not to maximize these slots as it adds depth and doesn't count against the cap. 
Yeah, I also find that somewhat curious. Um, you know, maybe it's just a cost-cutting thing because you, you still pay their salary even if it doesn't count against the salary cap. But um, to me, it makes no sense not to sign a just like a, anyone to a two-way player that anyone that you feel like is, is a capable sort of break-the-glass emergency type uh, contributor would be a valuable two-way player. Um, I think... You know, maybe the Blazers are just being flexible and going to wait for their guy, and and they'll they'll figure it out. They haven't been a big G League team, but that hasn't stopped stopped them from uh, signing two way guys in the past. Uh, none of those two way guys, other than Wade Baldwin, have really turned into contributors. And Wade Baldwin basically was a contributor until he was off the team pretty quickly. Uh, I kind of thought they would use that second two way on Jalen Horde, uh, the guy who was on a two way last year, who was a rookie. Um, he looks like an NBA player to me and worth maybe worth t- taking a risk on. Um, I, I too, I, Dr. J, I too am curious why they haven't done it. Um, it's, that's a hard thing to get an explanation for. Um, Terry's not going to answer it and N- Neil will just ignore those messages if you ask him. Well, if I ask him, I'm not Woj. All right, let's come back in the third segment and close out the show. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about Headspace. Life is stressful, even under normal circumstances, and this year has been no different and maybe even more challenging in your life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation app for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions and they're, that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Plus, Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. Look, you deserve to feel happier in Headspace is the meditation is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on MBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on MBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. And guess what? The Locked On NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week long. It launched today. It continues all week long. It's a fun project. It includes fantasy basketball outlook from Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. And we'll have the local experts from each market, including your boy, previewing the Trailblazers. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on NBA wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's close out the show. Let's, let's, let's finish up this Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Logan Gillis, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, Who impressed you more in the first two games based on your expectations going in, Jones Jr. or Harry Giles III? Um, I think I'm more excited about Derek Jones Jr. because I, like, 
because I know he's going to play each night and I, I'm more, maybe not excited. I'm more intrigued by Derek Jones Jr. Cause I know he's going to play each night. And I don't think the Blazers have had someone with his length and athleticism and his, his cutting ability um, in, a, in maybe since I've been around the team. So I, I'm, I'm probably more impressed with him just cause I like, I, I see the sort of like I've logicked out the way I'm going to appreciate and think about Derek Jones Jr. But in terms of expectations, like, Harry Giles is way beyond that. I thought he was going to be like, oh yeah, he's a pretty talented, you know, third center, but he looks better, much better than that. So I guess I'm saying both is the answer to your question, but Derek Jones Jr., if I'm being like true to my heart, the sort of player that I've been, um, th- that have like perked, perked up my interest a little bit just because of the reality of playing time for those two guys. Next question comes from Nick Thomas at Nick T249 on Twitter, who asks, now that the NBA has allowed coaches to wear what they want, what are the odds we can get Terry to go full MLB and wear the jersey number 99? So uh, Terry Stotts was a guest on this podcast a month-ish ago, six weeks ago. Um, check your feeds. Just search for Terry Stotts. It's in there. Uh, and we talked. I talked to him specifically about uh, wardrobe stuff. And because I know that he's kind of a traditionalist and he, I was like, I was telling him that uh, a bunch of college basketball coaches have decided to wear polos all year long. So he's not going to get to wear suits. And he was like, I don't want to do that. I'm a suit guy, all those things. Um, But then it sounds like, sounds like he's not getting his wish. So he's been pretty resistant to even wearing the polo. He like, he would rather wear a suit. He's, he's more that's more his speed. So I don't think he's going to go full MLB, but I agree with you, Nick, that it would be hilarious. Next question comes from Big Bad Bear at Bear Market on Twitter, who asks, with all the talk of number seven being unavailable but not retired, do you think number 12 is in that category? LaMarcus Aldridge may not be as revered as the face of the revamped franchise, but he was a huge part of the franchise and near the top of the stat sheet leaderboards. Yeah, not close. Um, Brandon Roy, like, it was going to be their shared team, but LaMarcus was incapable of being the face of the franchise off the court. He was, he, he was at that age, he could not accept the responsibility of shouldering the franchise in terms of talking to the media and setting the tone. Brandon Roy embraced that responsibility and he became the focal point. LaMarcus Aldridge had a better Blazers career than Brandon Roy, but he wasn't in that same sort of rare air. Plus, I think some of the deal with Brandon Roy's jersey is that like the the team wants to embrace him, but he doesn't want to come back. And then Paul Allen was mad at Brandon Roy because they amnestied him and they got out from under his money, but then he came back to play for the T-Wolves and cost them $60 million, and Paul felt a little betrayed by that. Uh, so there was, they had a stranger relationship, but Brandon Roy, so like the Brandon Roy stuff was more than just like his sort of on-court legacy and, and off-court um, rescuing the franchise. It was that then they had this sort of fraught relationship with him and giving his jersey away, which they did one time to Kobe Carl in summer league and another time to Mo, Mo Williams during a press conference and the Mo Williams said, whoops, I'm actually going to wear number 25. Um, they just moved away from doing that. And it's, um, it's now into a weird place that doesn't make sense. Um, and it seems like B-Roy doesn't care about it too much, but, uh, Lamarcus's number 12 was never even not, it was, it wasn't like that. It just, it just wasn't the same thing. Next question comes from Lewis Olenek at Lewis RS Olenek on Twitter, who asks, how do you feel about MLB style multiple games in one city on a road trip as something that could stick in the NBA after the pandemic? I feel like the Blazers who generally log the most travel miles of any team in the league could benefit from such a setup. Yeah, I, I think it could help. Like I think, um, the Blazers going to their Northwest 
division rival Oklahoma City and playing two games could certainly cut down on uh, cut down on travel. I think I think a better solution, like two two games in one city, could help. Um, I'm not against it. I have no problem with it. Uh, I think it's interesting. It allows you to game plan a little bit more like the playoffs where you where you can say, hey, they specifically did this thing and ran this action. Here's how we're going to guard it in a way that you can't really do during the regular season because the games just move too fast. But I think the better way to cut down on travel is just not the stupidness of it. If the Blazers go to South Florida and play the Miami Heat, they should also go to Central Florida and play the Orlando Magic on the same trip. You don't need to make two trips to Florida. If they go to New York, there's two teams in New York. You don't need to play the Knicks and then come back and play the Nets. You should play them both in the same trip, maybe on back-to-back nights. Um, there's just stuff like that. You, it, a lot of times they'll go to Texas and they'll play Dallas, San Antonio, New Orleans. Throw Houston in there. Get the whole region. Get the whole region. When you go to Minnesota, Chicago is close by. I know it's not the same same uh, conference or whatever, but th- these are, you know, Milwaukee and Chicago, these are regionally close games that the NBA could, um, if they really wanted to cut down on travel, could could make happen to some extent or more of it could happen i think that it would be more helpful to the blazers in terms of overall travel than just a couple nights in uh in the same city but i like the couple nights in the same city it's cool to me next question comes from ito at ito 6666 on twitter who asks is djj that's Derek jones jr the best dunker we've had in portland collective pronouns are the real deal Ito notes yeah the second collective pronoun of the pod we love them we love those collective pronouns here see i'm using one for myself see how i did that um, yeah, he's, he's the best dunker since I've been around. I mean, Anthony Simons is an incredible dunker, but he hasn't really done it in the game. Derek Jones Jr. is like a crazy game dunker. Like he's going to, he's going to cram on people this year. Um, he's going to throw down some sort of like needless windmill, some, some unnecessary behind the back, behind the head dunks that we're really going to enjoy. Like he's, um, I don't know, just like practice dunker. Will Barton was a really good practice dunker. Before he got hurt, Elliot Williams was a really good practice dunker. Uh, Pat Connaughton could really, really get up. But game dunker, Derek Jones Jr., easily. Next question comes from Brandon Goldner at GolderPDX on Twitter, who asks, through the first two games, have you seen anything from Stotts' offensive or defensive schemes that suggest he's changing stuff to best utilize Covington and Derek Jones Jr.'s strengths? Or is it hard to say since the lineups are preseason-ish and players aren't playing their regular rotations? Um, you know, I think mostly on offense, the Blazers have just run their mostly their flow stuff, which is just kind of like um, a the typical actions where you they set flares, they they run a little dribble handoff or a pass pass guard to guard pass and then into to two flare screens and then those flow into side pick and rolls and if that doesn't work and go to the other side and side pick and rolls like it's they they've run sort of the just familiar actions as opposed to a lot of plays and on defense they really haven't done anything specific i think that change comes like the change there comes more about like what Derek jones jr and robert covington can do for the most part terry stotts gives guys some guys you know like non-centers um, more freedom to decide whether they switch or don't switch, blue and black, as the Blazers call it. Um, so I, I think Derek Jones Jr. And, and Rob Covington will have more freedom to switch, maybe a little more freedom to to uh, jump out and get back. But I I don't I haven't seen anything in preseason in the um, in the two games I've watched that suggest that anything drastic is coming. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter who asks, why has Dame not showed his half-court range in preseason game yet? Are the videos from practice and shoot-around just fan service or is he saving this play for the regular season or is it being hyped so schematically the defense must pick him up at half-court every time? Okay, Ian, I think we need to chill. I think we need to chill. There is such a huge difference between taking a 35-footer and a 47-footer. Like, 
that's it's <laughs> it's just against the Kings in the first preseason game, da- uh, Damian Lord took two shots from more than ten feet behind the three point line. Years ago, you would that would have been wild. That would have been a wild thing to see someone do in the course of the game. Come around to pick up, pick and roll, come off a screen and just f- raise up to take a 37-footer, a 36-footer. Like, that's a wild shot. Taking a shot from another 12 feet out um, is not like it... Okay, it's, it is exponentially harder, fr- the difference, or exponentially larger, the difference from 36 to 48 feet as it is from, to say, 12 to 24 feet. Like, it's it's a big thing. Um, him taking 35 footers is still very far away and pretty much unique to him and Trey Young and Steph Curry. There's three dudes in the world who do it. Let's die. I know... I know Jason Quick of The Athletic wrote about him shooting from half court. I know other outlets wrote about it too, but let's chill. Let's chill. He's taken really, really deep three-pointers. Half court is is wild. I think he'll do it twice this year, but he's not. it's not going to be part of the arsenal, okay? It's like a once every two months type of thing. Next question is from Plebe from Portland at Mal Nadi on Twitter who asks, Blazers record after the first five regular season games, what's your projection? So the Blazers open the season home against the Jazz, home against the Rockets at both L.A. teams, the Lakers and the Clippers, and then at uh, Golden State. Those are their first five games. Uh, that, let's just let's throw in six. They play the they play the Warriors again uh, in a like a long weekend spending in the Bay. Um, these are tough games. Utah's really good. Houston is like not yet going to be bad. I think the Blazers would be better off playing Houston maybe later in the season when things have totally fallen apart. They might still be a little um, locked into thinking they're a good basketball team and have the have James Harden, which is going to make them a much better basketball team. Obviously, the Lakers are fantastic. It'll be curious if LeBron James plays. That game is not on national TV. Noteworthy. Uh, Clippers always always a question on who they might rest, but. But it might be too early in the season to sort of pencil that in. And then the Warriors, I think, are going to be worse. They're going to take a step back, but they're still going to be good as long as they're um, totally healthy. If, if Draymond and, and Steph Curry are on the court, they're going to be good. So I don't think it's easy. I'm going to say first six games, they go three and three as they get it right. Is that too... Am I... Am I under... I think the Blazers are going to be good and they have them going three and three in their first six games. Uh, you know, it really the, the schedule softens up after that. So yeah, I'll stick with it. Three and three over their first six. Uh, four and two totally on the table. As is two and four. I don't think one and five or five and one are particularly likely. Okay, next question comes from Kenny Pruitt at Kenny Pruitt on Twitter, who asks: If the stars align, every Blazer makes realistic improvements to their game from last year. Then come playoff time, we're healthy. That's a collective pronoun, and every Blazer's performs near their realistic ceiling do you think we can compete for a ring this year if not what would it take to get us there so this yeah i think this is like if every player plays their best could the blazers compete for a ring certainly right it just depends on what you mean as compete for a ring like could they play the lakers to a six game series in the western conference finals absolutely absolutely if if that's where they're at but the way the nba playoffs work is not how the nba regular season works and the nba playoffs award stars because stars can play more and the Lakers and even even the Clippers to some extent have two like the Lakers specifically have two of the five best players in the league on the roster that's always going to be really really hard to stop Blazers don't match up particularly well with either of those guys particularly Anthony Davis 
But even a team like the Clippers, um, they, you know, they had some bad vibes last year that maybe cost them. But, you know, the two of the 20 best players in the league. I don't think the Blazers have that. Like, I don't, um, as good as Cesar McCollum is, I think he's more like one of the 40 best players in the league. I think Nurk is one of the 60 best players in the league. He's Nurk has a chance to be better than that. He could be also one of the 40 best players in the league, one of the 30 best players in the league. Robert Covington, probably one of the 70 best players in the league, 65 best players in the league. Um, I'm getting into NBA rank now. This is not what I intended to do. But I just, it's, you just need stars to win. And I think like, even if the Blazers play at their absolute peak, I think this team is like a, is like a really challenging out in the Western Conference Finals. Just, just, based on how good I think the Lakers are um that's probably not particularly popular with uh my listening audience but I'm I'm gonna be honest with y'all that's that's how I feel uh I think the Blazers have a chance to be the best team of that tier below the Lakers but I don't I don't see them I just don't see them beating the Lakers in the playoffs uh if someone else does it someone else knocks off uh, LA before uh, they get to Portland, then then we can talk. But yeah, I think like I think the Blazers have a chance to be one of the final four teams, and I I just think the best team in the NBA plays in their conference, so it's really hard to get to the finals. You might be uh, unlucky enough to even face the best team in the NBA before you get to the to the conference finals. So seeding is going to matter. I think you want to avoid the Lakers until the very end, get them tired, tire those fools out by the time, time you meet up with them in the playoffs. Next question comes from vegan mindset coach at mindset vegan on Twitter, who asks, it's been great seeing our Blazers back on the court in the preseason, but I turn to you, Mike G rich for a dose of reality. We're all super high in the new Blazers, but who was the most disappointing in preseason debut? I don't think anyone, like I think, I think CJ Ellaby was the worst player on the court for the Blazers, pretty obviously, but also he's like a rookie who played on a pretty good Pac-12 team a couple months ago and didn't have summer league, didn't have tr- uh, like a real extended training camp. Um, you know, he's a, he's a he's a rookie and he's the rookie with about the least amount of seasoning as a rookie could possibly have. So I don't think it's like he looked he he looked like he's not ready to play in the NBA. That's Seems right to me. So no one, I'm going to say no one generally pessimistic, but no one, everybody looks fine. He looks fine. It's, there's no reason to worry. Next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter who asks, I know it's just preseason. We only saw a few glimpses of the DJ Roco Nurk front court, but I'm really impressed with how that group's looking. Nurk was hedging pick and rolls effectively. DJ and Roco were active in the passing lane, contesting threes. What are your thoughts? Same. I agree hundred percent. Nurk looked really good. Um, you know, 30 minutes of Nurk a night for 65 games is going to just be uh, awesome for the Blazers this year. The length and defensive want to of Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington on the outside, it's really valuable. Um, I'm not putting too much stock in either of these games, but just sort of like the the brief moments when they look engaged and, and the brief moments when they're playing against other starters, the team looks good. Look, They look... Um, I don't know if they look like an elite defensive team, but they have real, real obvious potential. I realize I missed uh, one question from the Harry Giles section in my first in the first segment, so I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to it quickly here before we close out the show. At Nick Bjork on Twitter, it's Bjork like the singer who uh, sends us this question: What major landmark should we name after Harry Giles? Highway 26 or the Burnside Bridge? or anything else. So my pick for this is that exit, um, like the the weird on-ramp to get on the Ross Island Bridge where it sends you through the neighborhood in Southwest Portland. Uh, when you're on the west side and they kind of loop you back up through the neighborhood, I want that to be known as the Harry Giles Loop. 
That is my that is my proposal for landmark named after Harry Giles. And the final question of the show comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter. And the Reverend asks, which preseason fan overreaction is most likely to be true? Giles should get minutes over Collins when he's back. Mello will win six man of the year. New CJ should play backup PG over Ant or the time honored classic. The Blazers are going to win the championship. Well, the the actual answer is that CJ should play point guard over Ant because that's just true. That's a fact. Um, you just have your best players on the court more. Um, the Blazers may prioritize getting going a little deeper, getting Ant more seasoning, all those things. But it, CJ should play over Ant. That's that's the answer. But I'm gonna say which which is the most fun. Melo winning six man of the year and then the Blazers winning the championship, both of them. And and they and Melo wins six man of the year because Harry Giles plays a lot and CJ's a wonderful backup point guard and they're deep and they're fantastic and they beat the Lakers and they win the championship. The parade will be scheduled for late July. It's going to be pushed back a little bit this year. Should be beautiful in Portland. It's perfect time for a championship parade. Get your friends. You won't need galoshes. If you bring a bike down there, make sure you bring a lock because you know that could be a problem. Plan your trip home. Plan your route home. That's late July. I'm thinking around July 28th. Uh, could be a little earlier, but let's say let's say around July 28th, Blazers Championship Parade. I'll see you there. And with that, let's go home. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers will be there waiting for you. Blazers got two more preseason games this week, Wednesday and Friday. We'll obviously have a podcast after Wednesday's game. Check your feeds quickly for that one. As I mentioned, Eric Garcia-Gunderson is also going to join the podcast later this week. We've got two really good shows lined up. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.